This is a line which is synonymous with a guy called Michael Buffer. He was a boxing MC, and when fight fans hear these words, something excitable happens within them. And those words, if you don't know what they are, is, let's get ready to rumble. Right? That wasn't bad. I, I could be an MC, right? This morning we're going to be looking at what it means to be battle ready. Battle ready. I wonder if, as the people of God, we are aware and we are conscious of the fact that we are continually in a fight. There is a battle which is taking place which we may or may not be aware of. But whether or not we're aware of it or not does not dictate whether or not it is a reality. This fight is a reality regardless of whether we recognise it or not. As Paul is moving to the conclusion of his letter to the Christians in Ephesus, he has already built his case. He has reminded them of the love that God has for them and how this love manifests itself as Jesus laid down his life so that they could be free. Paul has shared with the Ephesians that they are chosen, not forsaken, that they have been predestined to adoption, to sonship in Christ Jesus, that they are co-heirs with him, and that they themselves, and we ourselves, are the inheritance of the Most High God. Remember, Paul goes to great lengths to illustrate to the people of God that even greater lengths that God went to in order that they and that we might be called children of God. That we who were once far off have been brought near. That the wall of hostility has been flattened and that he has given to us his peace, making us alive <laughs> with him in Christ. Paul has reminded the Ephesians and reminded us who we are under Christ and whose we are in Christ. And then instructed us how we are to live in light of this reality. Mia and Jack have already met, read the passage for us this morning from Ephesians chapter 6, 10 to 24, where Paul concludes the letter. However, let's remind ourselves of the instructions which Paul gives in those first couple of verses. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So that's what Paul says. So as we come in a while to think more intently about putting on the full armour of God and what it looks like, let us look firstly at how Paul starts this final section to the letter. Whenever a prize fight is taking place and there was a prize fight on the TV last night did anybody stay up to watch it 
Yeah, me and Stephen, good company, right? There was a prize fight on the TV last night, but whenever there's a prize fight happening, there's a weigh-in that takes place beforehand. There is all the hypes, all the hype that is done in the build-up to it. Analysis of previous fights is given. Height and weight and the length of somebody's reach is taken into account as well. People talk these things almost to death. When there's a prize fight taking place, it's all about the people who are fighting. Everybody that I read before last night tipped Anthony Joshua to bounce back and defeat his opponent. And he did. He did. Because talk is cheap. Right? But notice here that Paul's emphasis is not on the capabilities and form of any individual in question. None of it. But rather, Paul points to the strength and power of Christ. The emphasis is not placed on what you and I can do. It's not placed on what the Ephesian Christians could do, but rather the emphasis is placed on what the Lord can do. The call is to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. The call is to put on the full armour of Sammy Robinson? No. The call is to put on the full armour of God. Notice here that this does not state that because we are believers of Jesus that that makes us suddenly immune to the fight which is taking place but rather because we are followers of Jesus we don't have to face this fight alone and we don't have to fight it in our own strength. Our enemy, the one against whom we fight is not a physical enemy. He does not stand before us as an opponent in a boxing ring or a UFC arena. Whilst our enemy is rampant, the world around, we cannot physically see him in the flesh. Our fight and our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. Paul is quite clear about that. Rather, our fight is against rulers, authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our enemy prowls like a roaring lion seeking out that which he might devour. Our warfare is not a physical one, it is a spiritual one. And the one against whom we fight, we're no match for him. The one against whom we fight, we're no match. We are no match. Whilst we don't have the adequate time this morning to delve into any great depth of what this spiritual warfare of which Paul speaks is, it is important that we recognise that our enemy is not other people, but our enemy is the very enemy of our souls, the devil who seeks to steal, kill and destroy. The scriptures are indeed quite clear. Indeed, Paul has already referenced in this letter in chapter 2 and verse 2 that the ruler of the kingdom of the air is now at work in the lives of those who are disobedient. 
of those who do not follow God. And perhaps one of the worst things about that is that those individuals have little to no idea what is happening and how they are being used to accomplish the devil's schemes. Church, as the children of God, as the beloved in Christ Jesus, we are to be on guard. And we are to stand firm as the war rages on. But the good news is that whilst we're no match for what we face, we have been given the means by which we can stand. We very quickly realise, or at least we should, that we are no match for the powers of hell and death. But we can take heart this morning and lean on the one who swallowed up death in victory. We can take heart and lean on the one who has no rival and who has no equal putting on the full armour of God so that we can take our stand in the strength that he gives to us. Only then, only then, will we be able to stand against the devil's schemes. Has anybody here either dished out or been on the receiving end of somebody looking you up and down? Normally somebody that you love. Going, you're not going out wearing that, are you? You ever been on, you ever been, Pam's laughing because she says it to Sam all the time. <laughs> right? You ever been on the receiving end of that? Cuts you right to the bone, doesn't it? Cuts you right to the bone. I'm not looking forward to when our wee girls are teenagers. Because I'm going to have to bite my tongue. And I'm going to make you're not going out wearing that, are you? Right? Before Chloe and I got married, I actually used to think that I was quite fashionable. Right? I used to think that I was quite fashionable. However, it became quite apparent. She's going, she said to Jeannie, he certainly wasn't. <laughs> it became quite apparent quite quickly. Um, mainly as it was pointed out to me that I looked like a slob. Um, and uh, <laughs> that I was not as fashionable as I once thought that I was. Suddenly, the caricature t-shirts were replaced with plain coloured ones. Uh, the clothes that I, deni uh, that I denied in my head, which made, uh, oh, sorry, I'll, the clothes which I denied in my head were a size too small, were suddenly replaced with the right size of clothes. Chloe would do it in such a way that it was done in a loving manner, that all of a sudden, oh, I know it's not your birthday, but I bought you a little something, right? That sort, of, that sort of thing. It was never, it was a gradual process. And she would argue that that process is still ongoing. But it's that gradual process where actually, I know it's not your birthday, but I bought you a wee t-shirt. Or those, those jeans had a, I noticed your wee jeans had a rip in them. I bought you a new pair. That sort of thing. There comes a stage, doesn't there, whenever everybody must start to dress appropriately and dress for the occasion that they are attending. One of my favourite scenes in all of the history of film is taken from Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Has anybody seen the movie? It's not one of my favourite movies, but the scene. Has anybody seen the movie? 
Yeah, was it? a few people have seen the movie. So basically in Indy, I'm gonna call Indiana Indy for the sake of this. Indy was one of, and one of the antagonists find themselves in the marketplace with the people all around them. And then there's this little bit of what I can only describe as a Western style standoff between the two. Indy's where Gary is and I, the antagonist is where I am. And the antagonist gets his sword out gets his sword out and he starts going like this. Starts throwing it all around. And then everybody's waiting and watching and waiting to see what Indy will do. And he just pulls out a gun and puts a cap on his, his chest. And that's it. The guy brought a sword to a gunfight. Right? Brought a sword to a gunfight. He had not prepared adequately for what he was about to face. And it doesn't matter how fancy his sword work was or anything like that. The sword couldn't stop the bullet. The sword couldn't stop the bullet. He hadn't prepared or he hadn't dressed appropriately for the occasion. I had it in my notes to do this. Right? But I didn't, and now I have. Right? The antagonist's issue here was not that he was coming up against the named character of the movie. Of course, there was only ever going to be one winner because it's a movie, right? With Indiana Jones in the title. But the antagonist's issue wasn't that he came up against a named character in the movie. No, no, no. The issue was that he didn't come to the fight dressed appropriately. He wasn't adequately prepared for what he was going to face. He was ill-equipped. He was ill-equipped. As I said, he showed up with a sword to a gunfight. As Paul continues... To write this letter. He lays out in no uncertain terms how the people of God are to equip themselves, or how we are to equip ourselves for the fight that we face. And the fight that he indeed himself also faced. The instruction that he gives is to put on the full armour of God. And the reasoning that he gives, he doesn't just tell us to do it with no reason. The reasoning that he gives is that when the day of evil comes, we would be able to stand our ground and do everything that we can to stand. This armour has many components, five of which are defensive components and one which is an offensive component. So we'll just go through them in the, the, the order that they are mentioned. But the first one that's mentioned is the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Now, I, I don't know about you, but my belt is normally the last thing, apart from my shoes, that I would put on. As I got dressed this morning, I put my shirt on, then I put my trousers on, and then only whenever all of that was done did I put my belt on. I couldn't have put my belt on without already having the trousers on. That would have been silly, wouldn't it? It wouldn't, it wouldn't have made sense to do so. You should all be laughing at me because my trousers would be around my ankles. Right? The belt wouldn't have been able to serve the purpose that it was manufactured for or bought for. However, it makes no sense to us that the belt is the first one mentioned. However, we didn't live in the days that Paul lived in. At the time of writing, before the rest of the armour could be put on, the undergarments, the things that you wore underneath it, needed to be fastened. 
so that they didn't fall down and so that they didn't make the armour which went on top ineffective. The belt of truth, therefore, the belt was a key component. The first thing that was put on before any of the rest of the armour. And the belt of truth in the Christian's life must work as the foundation upon which the rest of the armour is placed. The putting on of the belt of truth, it prepares us for action. It prepares us for action. It frees us up for movement and puts us in a battle state of mind. The belt of truth, what is it? Well, the belt of truth, it represents all of the beliefs that we hold as Christian people about who Jesus is and all that he has accomplished. The scriptures tell us, in fact, Jesus himself told us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is the capstone. And we place the belt of truth on, and as we do so, we are saying with confidence, I believe that Jesus is everything that he has ever claimed to be, and he is so much more. The placing on of the belt of truth is an admission that he is Lord and I am not. The belt of truth. The next one that's mentioned is the breastplate of righteousness. Now the breastplate, if you imagine, I kind of toyed with the idea of getting some fake armour and using it as a prop today. But then I ran out of time. I'll be honest with you and I didn't. Right? But if you can imagine that I'm putting a breastplate on, we all know what a breastplate looks like. We've watched enough movies in our time or read enough books with pictures in it to know what it looks like. The breastplate covers and provides protection for all of the vital organs. All of the vital organs. There is no way, no way that any soldier would go into or indeed would even have dreamt of going into battle without ensuring that they did their utmost to protect themselves. And they went in with the utmost protection and ensuring that the vital organs were offered the best protection possible. You stab me in the leg, please don't, but if you stab me in the leg, it would be painful. It would be incredibly painful. I would hop around. But the likelihood is, unless you nicked a very particular artery, that I wouldn't bleed out and that I wouldn't die. You stab me in the heart. Different story. The breastplate covers the vital organs. We need to make sure that we have the utmost protection and ensure that the vital organs are offered some reprieve and just as it was the blood of the lamb which cleansed us as the children of God and imputed his righteousness to us and continues to impart his righteousness as the work of sanctification continues in our lives we too cannot rely on our own strength or our own righteousness to stand against the devil's scheme. We must put on Christ and all that he has accomplished in us and through us. It is not our own righteousness. I love that wee kids video that we showed. 
Righteousness is doing the right stuff all the time. And nobody's done that but Jesus. Right? It's not our own righteousness, but it's Christ within. Living and reigning and saving from sin. I, I love that Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones quote. I love what he has to say about the breastplate. He says this. He says, thank God for experiences, but do not rely on them. You do not put on the breastplate of experiences. You put on the breastplate of righteousness. You don't put on the breastplate of experiences. You put on the breastplate of righteousness. And it's not our own righteousness, but Christ living. Living and reigning and saving from sin. So we've had the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. Now for the sandals of the gospel of peace. If we are to stand against the devil's schemes and lies, we must be fitted with the appropriate footwear. We must be readied with the sandals of the gospel of peace. We must be a people who are prepared in season and out of season to give account for the hope that is within us. We must not only share, but we must also live the gospel at all times. Has anybody ever injured their foot? Anybody here ever injured their foot? A wee nod will do, yeah? Right? There's, have you ever, ever injured your foot? Have you noticed that it affects pretty much everything else? Right? You walk with a limp. You, you feel sorry for yourself. You know, it, it changes your whole demeanor. A little bit like toothache. Toothache's atrocious. Toothache's awful. And you feel so silly because it's something so small. And how could it cause so much pain? But, but whenever, whenever there's something wrong with your feet, or there's something wrong with your legs, or something wrong with your foot, everything's a little bit off, isn't it? Everything's a little bit off. <clears throat> the rest of the body suffers as a result. As I say, we walk with a limp. Or worse, we might not be able to walk at all. Especially if we're not able to put weight on the foot. And the gospel of peace in Jesus Christ and the joy which it gives is our strength. It says in Nehemiah that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So as we are walking through, as we are battling through this life, because we are in a war, the best advice that I can give you, and more importantly, that the Word of God gives you, is don't wear flimsy, wishy-washy flip-flops into a battle. Don't wear flimsy, wishy-washy flip-flops to a war zone. You need to know what you believe, and you need to know why you believe it, and you need to be able to share it and the hope that it brings with other people. That's why we've taken so long over the summer to go through the book of Ephesians, because Paul lays out in this letter what we believe as the people of God and why we believe it and how it should impact the way that we live our lives. So don't wear flimsy, wishy-washy, hokey-pokey, one foot in, one foot out, flip-flops into a war zone. We need to stand firm. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. Belt of truth. 
breastplate of righteousness, sandals of peace, shield of faith. We are, to take, we are then to take the shield of faith. We are to have the belt of truth. We are to have the breastplate of righteousness and the sandal of the gospel of peace. But we are to take, we are to take the shield of faith. These previous three which we have looked at, they're prerequisites. We cannot take on the shield of faith without the firm foundation of the other three. Otherwise it would be flimsy and we would be easily defeated. The shield of which Paul speaks here, again, is a shield from a different time. It's not this round shield which we've become accustomed to seeing on our TV screens or in the movies. But rather, it's something which would have covered and would have protected the whole body of the person. I was trying to find a real life comparison from the 21st century. And you need to forgive me because the only thing I could come up with is imagine the police in the riot gear. With their shields here. And the way that they conduct themselves with that. And they cover from above and they cover the whole body to protect them. That's the type of shield that we are talking about here. You see, Satan, as he attacks us, he does so from all sides. And I don't need to tell you that he is unrelenting in his pursuit of seeking to kill, steal and destroy the people of God. He uses people. He uses circumstances, he uses thoughts, he uses feelings, he uses the wildest imaginations as we lie in our bed at night, he uses our fears and he uses lies as fiery darts which he hurls toward us. And it is only faith in the Lord Jesus Christ which can hurl them back. Recognising that he is God and we are not. And that he will protect us. That we can stand on his promises. That's how they'll be hurled back. Then the helmet of salvation. A helmet protects the head. It really annoys, right? And if you do this, you need to change. Because it annoys my wife, right? Whenever we are driving along and we see people on their bikes on the road with no helmet on, we cannot simply pass by without passing comment on, what's that Egypt doing? What's the Egypt doing? A helmet protects the head. It protects the brain and it protects the mind. I don't know if it's the case for you, but one of the ways in which the enemy of our souls attempts to dismay and attack me is through discouragement. In fact, I now ready myself anytime that anything exciting or good happens which excites me. Because I know that the devil will seek to steal away that joy through discouragement in any way, shape or form he can, I have to prepare myself. I have to prepare myself. The helmet of salvation is an essential part of the armour available to us because it protects us 
from the discouragement which comes as we remember the joy of our salvation. It is the helmet of salvation where we are reminded as we put it on that we are saved by grace, that we who were once far off have been brought near and that the wall of hostility has been flattened and he has given us of his peace. He who saved us and what he saved us from. And not only that we are saved, but also that we are going to be saved. And there is a day coming that our faith will be made sight. And we shall see him face to face. The helmet of salvation is the assurance that whilst the battles continue, the war has already been won. And we, we are on the victory side. Remind yourselves. We need to remind ourselves of this truth and put on the helmet of salvation. And then lastly, you haven't realised this, but this is the, this is the seventh point today. Right? Mervyn's like, I've, I noticed. Um, <laughs> lastly, the sword of the Spirit. Interestingly, there is only one offensive weapon that is used in the armour. Everything else has been given to defend us, to ensure that we are protected, but here we have an offensive weapon, something which can harm the enemy in his endeavour to tear us down and devour us. And that weapon is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. When Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, do you remember he went to the wilderness for 40 days after he was baptised and he was tempted there when he was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil? It was the word of God which he used to derail the devil's schemes. The writer to the Hebrews talking of the word of God says that it is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The sword of the spirit, the word of God, we must meditate on the word. We must live in the word and we must digest the word of God so that whatever happens, whatever is thrown at us, we will be able to stand. And we will be able to attack the devil's lies head on and show the world that hope, hope has a name. And his name is Jesus. More and more, as time goes on, I hear more and more people say to me, Pastor, the devil doesn't miss me and hit the wall. That's not just one person in this room. If I've heard it from one, I've heard it from 10. I've heard it from 20. Church, there can be no doubt that we find ourselves in a spiritual battle. Not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. There is no doubt we have a target on our backs. And the evil one is trying to hit that target every day. Yes, yet, whilst we may be being attacked from every side, we can stand firm against the devil's schemes. The problem today, though, is that most of us aren't dressed appropriately 
for the fight. The power to stand against the devil, what the devil has to throw at us, has been given to us. And it's given freely. But it is our responsibility to ensure that we put it on each and every day. Otherwise we leave ourselves vulnerable and easy targets. And what happens to vulnerable and easy targets? They're devoured. They're defeated. They're knocked out. So every time you get dressed, every time you get dressed, as you put your shirt on, as you put your trousers on, as you put the belt on, don't forget to put on the full armour of God. Get the sword in your hand. This is the one time you can bring a sword to a gunfight. Right? right get, a, get the sword in your hand and seize the day. In the mighty, beautiful, powerful name of Jesus. For there is no one greater, there is no one stronger, and there is no one higher. And when we abide in him, we know fullness of joy and everlasting peace. Church, remember who you are and whose you are. Let this reality spur you on to accomplish the good works that he has prepared in advance for you to do transforming you from the inside out and living for him alone stand firm be found in the place of prayer get your armor on for there is a battle which is raging and we are in the lord's army we are on the side of the victor and we are more than conquerors to let us win others to the cause of the kingdom that they too might experience for themselves pardon for sin and a peace that endures. People are depending on you. People are depending on you. And do you know why they're depending on you? Even if they don't recognize it? Because there's people out there dying. There's people out there dying. And they're dying without hope of Christ. And we are the ones who have been called. Called. Not politely asked. Called. With a purpose. To do something about it. So put your armour on. Get on your knees. And seek the Lord diligently. Ask that the Lord would stir up within us. As a people. And within you as an individual. An anguish for lost souls because with Christ the best is yet to come so let us do our utmost to ensure that this best is experienced by as many people as possible because if we keep it to ourselves I'm sorry but we're just pretending if we keep it to ourselves we're just pretending so let's get our armour on Let's dress appropriately. Let's get to war. Because the battle rages on and we are on the victory side. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and sing in response. Worship to our King.